Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 17, which is part two of our Engaging Lincoln series, Six Tactics to Be an Extraordinary Communicator. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. I'm your host, Jesse Leahy. And I'm your co-host, Marty Leahy. That's right. My dad, Marty, has more than 25 years of experience in Fortune 500 leadership roles and as CFO of smaller organizations. And 10 years ago, he started up a restaurant and catering business that he still leads today. So dad brings a financial and operations perspective, which is a good balance to my background in leadership communication. Thanks, Jess. And uh, today we're going to wrap up the engaging Lincoln conversation that we began uh, in episode 16. That's uh, what leaders can learn from Abraham Lincoln who is widely considered to be one of the two greatest presidents in the history of the United States. And he's not only revered by most people in the United States, decades after Lincoln's death, the famous Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy was quoted as saying, of all the great national heroes and statesmen of history, Lincoln is the only real giant. Well, look, in in episode 16, you recall we we were discussing the five leadership principles of of Lincoln. Now, today we're going to change track a little bit. We're going to talk about the six communication tactics that we can learn from Lincoln. That's right. And several of these tactics are showcased in the recent movie, Lincoln, produced by Steven Spielberg and starring Daniel Day-Lewis. But we've also gleaned them from the massive biography, Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln, written by Doris Kearns Goodwin. The first tactic is often called management by walking around. Now that's a that's kind of a familiar old mantra, if you will. I think going back for me into the into the seventies and eighties. That's right. It became popular from the books "In Search of Excellence: Lessons from America's Best Run Companies," which came out in nineteen eighty two by uh, Tom Peters and Robert Waterman. But it's interesting that Abraham Lincoln is known as the the leader that actually invented that management style, or he's, he's the one that is sort of the earliest example of management by walking around. And uh, you see this in the, a little bit in the movie. The movie opens with Lincoln meet, uh, visiting with troops, right? Right there in the, near the battle line. And uh, it's clear from the biography that he did that throughout the war. He went out and inspected the troops, and it wasn't big, necessarily elaborate, uh, staged visits, although there was some ceremony at, at, at times, but he really did stop and talk with actual troops. Now, why, why, do you, why is that important as a communication tactic? But to be down, you know, on the ground, you know, feet on the ground, getting a perspective of, of uh, people at, at all levels of your organization, not only good for the leader, but it also sends a sig- strong signal to the troops, if you will, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of messages. One, this is a regular guy. Two, this person uh, cares about what, what's important to us. And, and three, 
he's he seems to to understand have a have a have a view of a, of the ground here that that you know gives us confidence that he's going to make the right decisions. Their management by walking around has been a, a known management principle since the seventies and eighties, I guess. But there's a, a right now. There's a for the last several years as the the Toyota system has been widely talked about with the whole lean manufacturing uh, movement. The it, it's this a very similar concept is called go to Gemba, and Gemba is the Jap, a Japanese term meaning the real place. And in fact, Japanese detectives, police detectives, they call the crime scene Gemba. And so in lean manufacturing, the the best, the, the idea is that the best improvement ideas come from going to the Gemba. So, so if you're a, a leader in, a, let's say, a manufacturing organization, don't try to solve all problems and come up with ideas sitting in your office or in a conference room. Get down to the factory floor and see what's going on and talk to the people that are working there. Now that that's that's pretty po- more popularly known through what what uh Toyota has been doing, but you basically learned that same concept back in in your early parts of your career in manufacturing too, dad. That was, you know, introduced to me day 1. Get down on the factory floor to spend as much time out in the plant alongside People working the lines, you know, watching product, watching raw materials being processed and finished product coming off the line. And it would just, just being there would change your perspective on things, regardless of what kind of work you're doing. I was, I happened to be involved in, in cost control and financial analysis and things of that nature. But without that exposure and continuous exposure and, and really, uh, you know, getting into the flow of things in a manufacturing environment, it, you really couldn't do the quality of analysis that that you had to do to, to really do the job well. A big part of that equation is is that being natural. And sometimes management by walking around is actually referred to as management by wandering around just to make sure that there's this emphasis on it being informal and not structured. I remember a, a very large retailer who had a new CEO come on board and in his first week in the job, he turns to the CEO, COO who had been there for years and said, well, let's get out to some stores. And so they went to the store and they walk in the door and the CEO says, well, uh, let's split up because I don't want to overwhelm the employees here. You go that way, I'll go this way. I just want to kind of get to know some of the employees and just see what the store is like. So the, the CEO starts talking to employees and he gradually gets to the point where he's talking to an employee that does not realize that he is the CEO. He, he has no clue. The employee has no clue who he's talking to. And the CEO says, boy, the store here is really nice. Looks great, all clean and everything. And the employee said, yeah, well, it better be. We, we just got the word yesterday at the last minute that we better get the store all cleaned up and spruced up because there's some bigwigs from corporate coming. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the COO, had, who didn't last much longer, had followed sort of their traditional system of Get the word out. Make sure that the stores put on a great presentation when the bigwigs from corporate come. And that is not management by walking around. It's it's what the CEO was trying to do in the first place. Just get out there in a more natural setting and see what's really going on. You know, go to the Gemba, see what what's reality, and and build relationships with real people. That's a great story. Uh, does a great job illustrating the point. And that that brings us to the second tactic that 
it, one of my favorite ones about Lincoln is telling stories to make or reinforce your point. Yes, just like you and I shared a couple of stories there explaining what we meant by management by walking around and making that real for people. Lincoln told stories all the time. And sometimes there were anecdotes, like the story I told about the large retailer. And sometimes they were metaphors. And in the movie, I think viewers can see this a lot. He, Lincoln told many stories in the movie. In fact, he's actually criticized at one point by somebody who says, oh, you're not going to tell another story, are you? And that's actually pretty true to life. Lincoln told so many stories that, that some people who, who were not used to storytelling, at first they found it tedious. Um, you know, just get to the point. But most of those people he eventually won over. And one of them was a guy in his staff named Bates, who at one point complained about Lincoln's never failing fun of anecdote, as he described. Over time, he later came to understand the power of storytelling. And he's later quoted as saying, the character of the president's mind is such that he habitually tells what he wants you to, to know in a form of illustration. And by doing so, he brings it home with a strength and clearness impossible in hours of abstract argument. So a story is a lot more powerful and can have impact a lot faster. You know, if, you can, if, if you've got to uh, discuss topic with your employees, and maybe it's a difficult topic, rather than set the whole thing up with a 10-minute explanation of, of what the issues are, a well-told story might might get to the point a lot more quickly and, and uh, keep their attention. For anyone who'd like some practical advice for today's leaders and how to tell a story that sticks, check out two videos on our website at engagingleader.com, How to Tell Stories That Stick, Parts 1 and 2. There's just some, some uh, practical advice for how to do that, and we'll put a link to those videos in our show notes for this episode. Well, the third tactic that Lincoln excelled in is targeting a common reading level. Yes. Whether you're telling a story or speaking about, you know, the vision or the importance of doing something or what our purpose is going to be, if you can keep things at a common level, a common reading level, so keeping your words shorter and your sentences shorter and your paragraphs shorter, but also, uh, you know, a, a common uh, symbol level, I guess. Keep, keep your concepts simple and easy for people to grasp. And Lincoln was, this just came naturally for Lincoln because he came from Illinois, which was considered the, the Wild West at that time. And people just spoke more simply then. And it worked well for him. I mean, sometimes he came across as a, a country bumpkin that people didn't take seriously. But when he was speaking to a crowd or quoted in the press, it worked really well that he used very common, you could even say lowest common denominator, words and symbols. For example, he, when he was trying to explain a certain danger, he talked about what it would be like to, to your child to bed for the night and find out, discover that there was a snake in the bed. Anybody can, can just picture that happening, what a horrible experience that would be. And Seward, on the other hand, at that point, Seward... Before he was Lincoln's Secretary of State, he was the front runner for president. He was the guy everybody thought was going to become president. And when they were running against each other, Seward was looking for 
a metaphor to talk about the same danger that Lincoln was warning about. And he said this danger would be similar to introducing the Trojan horse. Well-educated people would, would get that metaphor, but most of the population didn't. It just wasn't as immediately accessible to them as the snake in the bed story that Lincoln told. Well, this is uh, also a concept you uh, we talk about when you talk about networking techniques. You know, it's kind of uh, knowing the group that you're going into. You know, on the one hand, if you're meeting with a group of business people, uh, you know, the conversation is going to be at a, at, a, at a certain level. If you're, I remember, remember one time meeting with a group of farmers uh, to discuss strategies for buying directly from food, you know, from farms. And, you know, it was kind of like uh, I had to put my blue jean men- mentality on and ball cap uh, figuratively and just and, and have a conversation um, at their level, which isn't necessarily a lower level. It's just a different level, uh, different words and kind of different, more of a folksy approach to things. And, uh, uh, but it's, it, there's some skill involved with, with, um, you know, using phraseology like snake in the bed. I mean, words like, you know, pig in a poke and, and, uh, getting the shaft. And I mean, there's just some, sometimes in a, in a very sincere way, you can, you can utilize words that say a lot to people, uh, because of, of their own, of the context that they live in every single day. It also helps to keep your language as concrete as possible rather than abstract and as personal as possible. If you can get real people, specific people, and specific things happening, people can, can grab onto it. And, and so, for example, we helped a, a large global manufacturer kick off a major business transformation. Now, when, when our firm, Aspendale Communications, got involved, the company had already started its communication, so we were slightly late in the game. And here, there was a letter that went out to employees, uh, and it had it started. This is this was the opening. This was the opening line. Last fiscal year, we took steps to strengthen our foundations by working together to rationalize our operations, while also starting to make focused, large-scale investments in emerging economies. Wow, you're underwhelmed. I'm I'm practically asleep. I mean that <laughs> uh, you lost me after about one phrase on that. That that's going to be a sleeper for everybody listening. Even you, being a, a a financial and operations guy, lost you after after one sentence. So when we got involved, we helped try to bring it down to a more common level, and we also tried to get. Go beyond just written communications and and start using video. And we actually got the CEO interviewed in a video. And this is how this was the opening lines of his script for that video. When my grandfather started the company in 1933, he had one simple goal: to save people's lives. Today, we are a strong, healthy company. Our products are saving lives everywhere around the world. But the world and our customers are changing. Yeah, that 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 opener right off the bat when my grandfather started the company, I, that just it paints a picture right away. So if you can, so target a common reading level. All right. Well, number four, listen with a "we influence each other" attitude. I think this is one of the really more powerful tactics that that Lincoln utilized. It is very powerful, and it's it's easy to do, but 
hard to make the decision to do it. Lincoln, first of all, he was known as a great listener. And we hear all the time, to be a good leader, you need to be a good listener. But why are you listening? Are you listening just so that you can manipulate the person so that you can, uh, you know, most of us, when we're listening, we're not fully listening. We're planning our next words in order to get that person to come around to where our point of view. And Lincoln, of course, wanted to influence other people. I mean, every leader wants to influence others, but he was open to be influenced by other people as well. And so if he sat down to talk to you, he would have this perspective that I'm, I'm willing to be influenced by you. And that naturally encouraged people, motivated people to be influenced by them. So he always had this, we influence each other attitude. And he, a great example of this is the way he uh, handled anybody, any representative of the South. They were totally opposed to his viewpoints and the, and the, and the North's viewpoints. And yet, he often was willing to bend to them if it would help, if it would kind of help move things along. And he even counseled his fellow Republicans, you know, even though the Southern people will not so much as listen to us, let us calmly consider their demands and yield to them if we possibly can. What a, what a radically different approach than the way we, we, we see the public uh, life today. You know, where, you know, this constant rivalry and constant, uh, you know, utilization of power against one side against the next. I mean, and this is almost a a sign of Lincoln's humility in a way. I mean, coming in and saying, look at, let's, if if there's a way that we can yield to them, that's to both of our benefits, let's grab that opportunity and and build on this. relationship so we can influence you know the overall results here to the betterment of the country and that's um whether it be at the national level or uh, other government levels or even in our businesses you know how often do you see us basically like uh, like you described earlier just you know talking at each other not really listening to what the other person is saying and not really forging some kind of consensus or agreement that that humility, I think, is is probably at the core of it, and, and and empathy too. Really understanding what people, wanting to understand what people are thinking and feeling, and he, it worked not just when he was talking to you know, broad audiences, but with his own team and the ideas they had. He he even even in, in the on those occasions when he was absolutely convinced of a certain route. For example, he had decided he was going to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. He had it written, and he was going to announce it. And he, when he sh- shared his last and final draft with his cabinet, he said, now, I, I want to share this with you just so you can give me your thoughts, but I, I want you to know I'm not changing my mind on this. I'm going to do it uh, now, and so don't even bother trying to talk me out of it. E- even after saying that, he still listened to them with openness to being influenced by them. And they didn't argue, they didn't try to talk him out of doing it, but Seward talked him into delaying in, just in order so that they could have a, a, a victory in the war. He said, you know, this is going to be much better received by the public if we have a, a, a victory, a battle victory to our credit. Right now we're, we're kind of 
speaking from a, a position of weakness. And Lincoln listened to him and delayed it for several months until they actually had a decent battle that uh, gave them some more pu- public support. This fits in with that when we were talking about the uh, the five D motivators, Jess. Um, you know the whole thing about not seeing everything as black and white and allowing for some some gray area or some flexibility. Yeah, one of my favorite stories of Lincoln uh, in the whole area of part where he granted pardons to people that you know um, did things, uh, particularly in the military, that were wrong. And he, he liked to tell the story of a soldier who. When asked why he had run away, said, "Well, Captain, it was not my fault. I've just, I've got just a, as brave a heart as Julius Caesar, but these legs of mine will always run away with me when the battle begins." <laughs> you <know. laughs> so you know, it's like sometimes you know you really your your mind is saying uh, i need to execute that person and, and but the the heart's saying you know what uh it's there's a human factor here and and, and a gray factor and you you got to allow for a certain a certain amount of uh, you know you have to be flexible sometimes in your approach number 5 is control your emotions this is a this is a, a more challenging tactic it's something that's important for us all to do but controlling our emotions is a part of emotional intelligence we hear that term EIQ a lot these days, and we tend to think of it only on in terms of the empathy side of that, where you really take the time and have the sensitivity to pick up on other people's feelings and thoughts. That's only half of the equation. The other half is managing your own emotions, being aware of the fact that, number one, Sometimes your emotions cause you to do or say things that are not really in your best interest. And number two, sometimes your emotions have an impact on other people that is not what you actually want to have happen. So a, somebody with, with high emotional intelligence will be aware that hey, maybe this isn't the best time for me to uh, communicate this message. Uh, maybe I need to take some time to cool off, or at the very least, will explain to people around them. Now I'm kind of, you know, mad right now, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Link. So we have to figure out what what are the specific things that we do to manage our own emotions. One of the ways that Lincoln became famous for managing his emotions was that he would write his thoughts down usually as a letter to somebody, but then rather than sending that letter immediately, he would set it aside and come back and look at it another day. The most famous example of this is right after the Battle of Gettysburg, which of course the the North won, and it was ended up being a turning point in the Civil War, a very important victory. However, it it could have been much bigger than that. It could have been essentially the end of the Civil War. Uh, or the thing that brought the end to happen, because Lee had been defeated by the North's general need. And Lee, when, when he realized he was losing the battle, he had his, his army retreat, but they actually got trapped against the river, which was flooding at that point. And so there was nowhere they could go. And if Meade had just chased after him with his army, General Meade would pretty much have assured that General Lee would have surrendered to him, and that would have brought the the war to a swift close. And and that's exactly what Lincoln ordered General Meade to do. But 
need actually delayed for a couple days. He he I mean days went by and he did nothing. He just sort of rested up from the battle apparently. And uh the river level went down and General Lee was able to get his army across the river and they escaped. When Lincoln got that news in the telegraph office, he was so angry. He threw his hat on the ground and he swore. And unlike in the, in the movie Lincoln, you see Lincoln swear a few times. His biographers say that he he actually almost never swore. He tried he he was not a swearing guy, but in this case he lost his temper and he did swear. And then he went and he wrote a letter to General Meade and said, "You know, if you had done what I told you to do and if you had been courageous at this moment, this war could have been over and now who knows how long it's going to drag on." And in fact, it dragged on for two more years. But Lincoln set that letter aside and years later, his biographers found the letter still in his files, and Lincoln had written on the outside of the envelope, to General Meade, never sent or signed. Instead, he, he let time go by, and then he had a more rational communication with General Meade. In the days long before email, I mean, how many of us have kind of a fit of rage uh, dashed off an email that we, we, we wish we could get back? I know I've... I've gotten myself into the habit of whenever I have a, a long email that's got any kind of emotion in it, I, I almost always put it in the draft file and wait a day or two. And it's uh, more than half the time I, I don't send those letters. I change them quite a bit. Yeah, I just, just the week before last, I got, I got really angry with some people on my team because I thought they had let me down with something and put me in an awkward position. And so I, I, I dashed off an email, and I'm so glad I didn't send it. And it's, I actually thought about this very story from Lincoln, and I, I, I just saved it, and and I let some time go by, and I did exactly what Lincoln does. He he thought about what is the impact that that my sentiments are going to have on that person. Is that actually going to do any good? And can I understand that person? What what caused them to act that way? And I, I, I thought you know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I would have done any differently in there. In there, if I were literally in their shoes, I might not have done it any differently. And I can see more, you know, why that happened. And so, instead, in I didn't send that letter. I did instead have a verbal conversation with the team, and we and we uh, explored what happened and what we could do to improve the situation going forward. Well, wrapping up with uh, tactic number six: choose carefully between written and verbal communication. Yes, the la- then that last story I just told is a good example where I-, I made the decision that in that case, a verbal communication was better than sending something in writing. And y- it's sort of, a, you have to make that decision on a case-by-case basis. Are you going to have the impact that you want better if you do it either in person or over the phone, or if you do it through some written means? And in that case, I wanted to do it verbally because I wanted to share my frustration, but I wanted to keep the focus on what we can. What was the solution to that? And and if in writing, sometimes emotions can come across less clear. Lincoln is is famous for another letter. This one uh, that actually did get delivered. In fact, it was hand delivered by Lincoln himself. This one was to another of his commanding generals named Joseph Hooker, and who was called Fighting Joe. And it was right after Lincoln had named him general. And he wanted to 
be very clear to Hooker that he liked the fact that he was a fighting man, that he got things done, but he didn't want him to kind of go overboard on that and and basically become be more of a, a dictator general because that's that's actually Hooker had made some comments to that effect. Now Lincoln actually came and spoke with Hooker in person and talked to him about that. And then he handed them a letter which which very candidly talked through that issue and in fact outlined what he perceived as Hooker's strengths and weaknesses. And it's interesting, Hooker was was so moved by the whole experience, even though he basically was criticized by Lincoln, but he actually shared the letter with a reporter and he said, this is just such a letter as a father might write to his son. It is a beautiful letter. And although I think he was harder on me than I deserved, I will say that I love the man who wrote it. Wow, that's a, well, it's powerful. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about emails and, and other things we can jot off, but you know what, to, to handwrite a note, I mean, that's something even in, in, in today, you know, today's world, the personalness of, of that, you know, you know, part of you is early on the paper, the your own personal script, jotting a note to someone, you know, nice job or, you know, maybe a, uh, a bit of advice or something like that. Just think how, how powerful that could be. Yes. And, and in this case, it's interesting. Lincoln chose both written and verbal communication because he wanted to, he had, he had sort of criticism to say to Hooker, and he wanted to say that in person so that he could soften the blow. And, and then he wanted to be clear, and so he put, that, he put it in writing. So both ways so that, so that Hooker would at, you know, get, sort of get the real message. And, and it, it wasn't ultimately a message of criticism. It was about guidance and improving going forward. It, it's exactly the, the correct impact that it had on Hooker. So you need to be, take care on what are the advantages and disadvantages of sending a written communication and should that be in a form like email or Facebook or Twitter or, or a handwritten note? Those are very different effects on people. Or should it be a verbal communication, either in person or on the phone? Okay, well, that's the, uh, the, the six uh, tactics that Lincoln used very effectively. That's right, the six communication tactics. Number one, management by walking around or go to Gemba. Number two, tell stories to make or reinforce your point. Number three, target a common reading level. Four, listen with a we-influence-each-other attitude. Five, control your emotions. And six, choose carefully between written and verbal communication. All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode of the Engaging Leader Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time when we'll be talking with author Chris Rice about how to have more great days at work. Hey, if you've got a question for Chris Rice for next time or any comment on today's episode, we would love to know your thoughts. You can go to our website at engagingleader.com, look for the show notes for this episode, and you can scroll down to the bottom and put your comments in there. Or you can connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Terrence, our announcer, 
and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. Thank you.